I was now doing career counseling with adults. And that was just where I lit up. I was, it was like, okay, this is my lane. Like this is my zone of genius because I just loved helping people figure out who they are and then connecting. It's like, there's just this level of confidence that shows up when you are in a career that you know you're supposed to be, at least for that moment of your life. You're listening to the Working Progress Podcast, and we are your hosts, Dana and Angela. We believe your work and career should evolve with you, and it is therefore always a work in progress. In this podcast, you will hear stories of people who turn their careers from something that no longer serves them into something that complements who they are and their life goals. The way I like to think about it is that their careers are growing and stretching just like they are. Our goal is to inspire you to get out there and to make the changes you want for yourself and your future self. Let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, welcome back to the Work in Progress podcast. Today, we're talking to Tega, who made a career change from health researcher to professor and career coach. Tega helps women who are unhappy at work get clear about who they are so they can find a fulfilling career for themselves. So Tega, welcome to our podcast. We're so excited to have you here with us. I would like to start this conversation by having you do a little bit of introduction about yourself and then we can take it from there. So um, yeah, welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be speaking with both of you. Um, I love that you have this podcast. I think career transitions often sometimes seem like such a taboo topic or people don't talk about their journey. So it's great that you're doing this. Um, so I, like Dana said, I'm a professor and career coach, but really before all of that, I am originally Nigerian. I currently live in St. Louis. I am a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm a Jesus lover. Um, and I like to introduce myself to some of those things first, because as a career coach, I'm big on us not tying our worth or our identity to our careers because careers can come and go. Um, and so I'm excited to talk with you today. Great. I love that you mentioned that your identity shouldn't be tied to your career. And I think that is so true. But sometimes it's just hard to keep that in mind when, you know, like you're going through maybe like a career change or you're hitting a rough patch in your career or you're just thinking about, you know, all these things, especially I think for someone who's younger, I, I'm, I'm guessing probably just generalizing, but I think when you're just maybe fresh out of college or you want to get things started, that's all you're thinking about all the time. Um, or if you tend to work a lot, then, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's something that obviously is a very big and very important topic for some of us. But it's so true that your identity isn't tied, shouldn't be tied to your career. And I think a number of the people that we spoke to on this podcast have also point that out. So I think that is very important and something to keep in mind. Um, so I know that you worked in a different field and now you're coaching among other things. So what prompted the change for you? To put it plainly, I was miserable. Um, so to give context, like I said earlier, I'm originally Nigerian. And um, so this wasn't something that was said to me directly by anyone, but definitely in Nigerian culture, while I, the, the generation when I was growing up anyway, real jobs, and I'm doing air quotes here, real jobs were seen as jobs like being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or a nurse, maybe 
um, you could get away with being a nurse. And so I got these implicit or implied messages that I had to do something in medicine or healthcare for it to be seen as a real job or a prestigious job. Again, it wasn't from my parents or anything. It was just what I saw in the media, what I saw friends doing, what I heard friends saying. I didn't really think that I could deviate from that. And so um, in undergrad, I majored in biology. I literally only picked biology because I thought I was going to be a doctor. I had really no interest in it. I mean, I hated chemistry in high school, so I don't even know why I thought I would do science. But I just thought that's what I had to do. I thought that was the only path available to me. And so after, you know, going through that process, I actually even had some clues because my junior year of college, I took a psychology class and I fell in love with it. Um, I just loved learning about people and I aced it and I, I, I minored in psychology after that. And I think that should have been my clue, but I still ignored it, went on, pushed through with healthcare. And I just realized I wasn't happy. One day I realized that I wasn't thriving. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. I didn't feel good about what I was doing, really. Like, I didn't feel, when I say good, just I didn't feel smart or confident or capable because I wasn't doing well. And I saw people around me who did feel smart and confident and capable and who were walking through the world, like, um, just feeling like they, you know, they, they got what they were doing. They knew themselves. And so... I knew that I didn't want to continue the rest of my life being miserable. I knew something had to give, something had to change. And so that really was the catalyst for me was, you know what, I wasn't created to be miserable. And I'm sure that there's probably something else that I could do. And so I need to take a step back and figure out what that will be. When did you realize that you were, I guess, kind of miserable or not doing well? Yeah. Do you mean when like um, a specific time frame or just in life in general? Was it a particular job? Yeah, so it was when I was doing the healthcare research. So as a healthcare researcher, I was doing a lot of coding. So in the lab, they would interview some people, get some data, and my role was putting input, really inputting data into the computer and cleaning up some of that data and analyzing it. And it was just monotonous. I was sitting in front of a computer all day long, which is a bit weird now that I think about it, because as a professor where I do research, um, I'm in front of a computer a lot. I think the difference is there's a component of my job now where I interact with people. But as a healthcare researcher, it was, I literally was in a tiny office. Like it was a box. Like you walked in and it was right, like the computer was right there in the desk and I sat down and the door was right behind me and it was dark and dingy. Like it felt like I was in a dungeon putting data in. It was just like, this is not it. Like, I, I'm not happy. I don't enjoy this. I don't go home at the end of the day still thinking about work. I'm like, I'm ready to get out. And that just didn't feel healthy to me. I see. Yeah. And how many years or how long into the... Oh, I knew pretty quickly. It was about 14 months, I would say. I think I did it for 14 months and I realized I needed to pivot. Mm, I see. And is this your first job? Yes, very first job. Okay, okay. So you you realized pretty early on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, so then what did you do after that? Um, well, then I, I took a year off after that because I knew I was like, okay, you know what? I need to figure out. Luckily, again, because it was fresh from undergrad, um, I was still for the most part, being supported by my parents. So I did have the privilege of being able to move back home, like back home to Nigeria, actually. And I took a year off and I, I needed that year to just figure myself out. And I, I mean, that really was the catalyst for the work I do now. Because I thought to myself, okay, what I'm doing sucks. I don't like it. I want to do something else. 
but I have no idea what something else is. How do I figure that out? And, and my thought process was, okay, well, if I know more about who I am, then I will know more about what I enjoy. And that will help me figure out what I want to do. Like that was how I thought things through. And so during that year off in Nigeria, we have this program. It's called NYSC, like the National Youth Service Corps. It's almost like a year-long internship, but it's nationwide. Like everyone has to do it. And it's a long story. I won't get into it. But I went home and decided to do that um, just because I thought, you know what, let me get it done. But also I'll be living at home, rent-free, a bit stress-free. Um, I didn't. I wouldn't feel too pressured. And so during that time, I just then started doing a lot of introspection, getting clear about who I was, what I like to do. I did a lot of like journaling and just activities to like, okay, what do I like to do? Who do I like to be around? Who do I like to spend time with? When do I feel good about myself? Uh, what classes did I really truly enjoy when I was an undergrad? And so I just went through a lot of introspection for a year. Well, actually more like maybe six months. <laughs> It seems like the questions that you just mentioned are like things that we can easily reflect on pretty often on our like in our day to day lives, and and those were very helpful for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, because so through that introspection, you know, so I got clear about who I was, and then I thought, okay, now that I know who I am, I got to figure out what's out there. Right? Like I didn't know a lot about careers. I never explored. Like I don't think I. No, I don't. I know for a fact. I never once went to my career services office as an undergrad. So I, I I didn't have career development. No one talked to me about the process of picking a career. I never had those conversations anywhere. And so, yeah, okay, now I knew a little bit about who I was, but then it was like, well, what can I do with this knowledge or with this information? And so I had to start looking at the world of work and trying to see what was out there. And my thought process was, okay, so I like working with children. I like being around people. So I want to do something in that sense. But I didn't want to be a teacher because I thought, you know what? I want to work with kids, but I don't want to be in a classroom. I don't want to be sort of a disciplinarian. I want to help kids just be themselves and, you know, figure out who they are and feel safe. And then I came across school counseling. I did not even know that school counseling was a thing. I just randomly came across it. Um, I researched it some more. Through my research, I fell in love with it. And so then I applied to graduate counseling graduate programs to start my journey into being a counselor. And this counselor, um, is it for a specific age group or? Yeah. So, well, school counselors in general work K through 12. So the primary through secondary level. Um, but when I went to grad school after, you know, figured out that was my next step, I really was just getting trained to be a counselor in general. At that point, I still wasn't even quite clear what kind of school counseling I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be a counselor. And I think it was really being in my program that helped me solidify things and, and realize that, you know what, I want to work with elementary school kids. Um, and so that was where I started that journey. But I actually was only a school counselor for like a year and a half. <laughs> oh, really? So mm -hmm. you were a counselor? Okay. Um, and then what, what happened after? Yeah. So finished my graduate program, worked as an elementary school counselor, which I love, by the way. I mean, I trained school counselors now. I really loved it. Um, but I think, so in being a school counselor, I noticed some, I noticed things happening in the school that were almost a mirror of my own experience. Like I said earlier, I never had any conversations about career development. No one ever mm -hmm. talked to me about career development. And I noticed that in the school, that wasn't really happening. And that was the role of the school counselor. So 
right off the bat, you know, I was doing a lot of career development interventions with my fourth and fifth graders. We did a career fair, just talking to them about their interests and who they want to be and the different colleges out there. And I got really excited. Like that was the part, one of the few parts of my jobs. Not few, I love all of it, but like that part in teaching really lit me up because it was just watching them learn about themselves learn about their interests and what they think is cool and the different ways that they're smart and the different intelligences they have. I just saw them light up. It was almost like no one had ever stopped to talk to them about them. And so I was like, wow, okay, I see the power of career development. I really enjoyed it. But then I also saw some gaps in my own training as a counselor where I was like, well, no one ever prepared me to teach about career development and what that looks like. And at that time, when I was a school counselor, my supervisor was not a counselor, had never been a counselor. And so I thought, okay, also, this just seems wrong. Like, why am I being supervised by someone who hasn't been on the job before? And that was what sort of led me to think, and you know what, I'm going to go get a PhD in counselor education so that I can then advocate for school counselors. When you became a school counselor, it wasn't really in particular for like the career aspect of counseling, right? You were there to counsel on, I'm guessing, all kinds of different topics but yeah, exactly. the topic of the topic of career development stood out to you because you realized that um there's a gap like you said and you realized that you never had any conversation about career when you were i guess in school and you realized that there is a gap in in the system yeah yeah Hmm. Okay. That's so cool. I just want to jump in here and sorry for interrupting anyone to say that I absolutely share sentiment about that lack of career development kind of um, Me too. aspect of my life. I feel like um, mm-hmm. I like maybe maybe it's because you know a lot of the um, traditionally known careers like doctors, lawyers, nurses, like their roles are so um, like I uh, defined uh, by the society, and we're we're all well aware of what they do. But you know when you're talking about you know for example somebody with a biology major, for, and that's kind of exactly what I studied as well. What can you do leaving school with that background and with that training? Honestly, I didn't know. And I honestly never thought about it before getting myself into it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just see that that is a huge gap. And I'm not sure. I I guess I just didn't think that I would need a job after school. I think when I was younger, (laughs) I would just focus on finishing school. (laughs) So whatever happens after school, I wasn't thinking very much about it. But, you know, I definitely echo that sentiment. And I do wish that, you know, there's a lot of people out there, hopefully, now that, you know, we're like 10, 15 years after my time when I was in school. Hopefully now counselors these days are taking on a little bit more of an active role of, you know, identifying interests and then actively sharing some resources on, you know, what could your career be in this role? And if you have this um, kind of training in school, because I honestly really never thought about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as someone who right now I train counselors and I train school counselors, we're definitely, I think there's, there's now a big push for what we call college and career readiness. Um, I mean, it's still not where, you know, if I, if we were in a perfect utopia and I was able to create the K-12 system, whatever we need to be yet, but there's a little bit of progress in research that kind of moved in the direction of let's start having these conversations with kids young. Like let's not wait. Cause if you wait till high school to start talking to kids about their future, it's already too late. Most kids by the age of five have decided what they want to be. They've, they've, they've eliminated options. Let me put it this way, based on what they've seen in the world, they've already thought to themselves, okay, I can do this or I can't do this based on who 
I've seen doing it. Is that something you observed or something that... Um... Oh, no, that's in the research. So there's just theories and research that have shown when we look at the career development process over the lifetime. Um, by the age of five, most children have made um, internal decisions about what careers are available to them based on gender and prestige. So, for example, if um, I grow up in a low-income household and the only jobs I see women around me doing are maybe being a teacher or um, being a cashier or being a, um, a clerk. Like I haven't seen any, maybe I haven't seen any female specifically. Let's if I take my example, if I've never seen a black female doctor or a black female pilot or a black female engineer, by the age of five, I've low-key, I thought to myself, okay, these are the jobs that men do and these are the jobs that women do. And then based on my household and the jobs around me, I thought, okay, these are the jobs that I can do just based on my socioeconomic status. And so they've internal made some decisions already about what jobs they can and cannot do. And then so after this, you went on um, to get your PhD in counseling. Yeah. So this is where my my full foray into career development started, because this was when I started. I started working as a career counselor while I was getting my PhD. Um, And so that was I was a student and a career counselor at the same time. And it was in I mean, I already, like I said, I already knew I sort of enjoyed career development conversations because I was doing it with kids. But as a doctoral student, I was now doing career counseling with adults. And that was just where I lit up. I, it was like, okay, this is my lane. Like, this is my zone of genius because I just loved helping people figure out who they are and then connecting. It's like, there's just this level of confidence that shows up when you are in a career that you know you're supposed to be, at least for that moment of your life. And so helping people get to that point, that point of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Because careers, I think that whole career selection process is a weight for a lot of people. Um, One, because of the way society defines careers, which I I always, I talk about often, I'm not a fan of that, but a lot of people think, okay, I need to pick what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And so because of that weight, if they haven't figured it out, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And they feel like they're lacking or something is wrong with them. And so that changing the mindset is a whole other conversation. But even if we stick within that limited scope of how society defines career, where you pick something for the rest of your life, um, helping people to just figure out that thing, what are they going to do, even if it's just for the next few years, you can just see this sense of relief, the sense of, okay, I figured it out. Now I know. And I just love doing that work. And so that was where my, my journey into being a career counselor and coach started. May I ask how many years ago was that? Well, like essentially when was that? That Was that like 2018, 2017? 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. Definitely- I think the end of 2015, 2016. Awesome. Oh my gosh. I-, I feel like I definitely started seeing a lot more coaches maybe like in the last two years, but 2015 definitely sounds like you were definitely one of the earlier earlier people that had kind of like felt that, you know, they wanted to do this um, yeah. as they're, you know, like for like their full-time job. And at the time, what was it like? What did you know that it was going to be something that could sustain yourself financially? No. Okay. So I I guess, let me pause because what you just said is part of why I started her career doctor. Because so when I started my role as a career counselor, I was working with a career services center. And so I was in an agency. And so for me, that was just a natural part of, this is how we help people. We were helping the community, we were helping students, we we're helping alumni, and it just it just felt great. But remember, I was a doctoral student. So that I did that for like those 
three and a half, four years, but I still didn't even think that would be my final path. Well, actually, towards the end, I thought, you know what? I really want to keep doing this, but I was getting a PhD. And so I was like, well, I need to do something with this degree. And I enjoyed teaching. And for a brief moment in my PhD time, I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll be a director of career services. Like I actually considered that as a career path, but I, I genuinely enjoyed the, the being in the classroom. And for me, it was, okay, if I can train more counselors, if I can put out more culturally sensitive, ethical counselors in the universe, in the world, then I'm indirectly impacting more people because those counselors will then go on and help their clients. So for me, I thought okay, being in the classroom is bigger impact at this stage, which is why I went into academia. But then like maybe a semester into teaching, I was like, I miss clients. Like I need to be working with clients again because I miss that, that part where they light up. But I just wasn't sure how that would look yet. But then, like you said, so for me, I started my academic journey three, two and a half years ago. And so that's when you mentioned the coaches started popping up. So, so here's what was happening in my world was I was now an academic, but then I was seeing all these coaches pop up. And as I watched them, I was seeing them just giving advice based on only their own career journey. I wasn't, I wasn't hearing anything about evidence-based practices, about um, theoretical approaches. I wasn't even hearing them address the mental health part of career development, because it's not just about career. It was very much a, a get a job, do your resume, do the negotiate the end. And so as I was watching that pop up, I thought, you know what, I want to get back into this space because one, I miss working with clients, but I need to bring my own lens into it, which is that counseling bit. Because yes, I'm a coach, but the counseling bit, you need training too, to, to be able to see how for a lot of people, when they are in careers that are unfulfilling, it impacts their life. It impacts their health. It impacts their mental health, their physical health, their relationships. And I wasn't seeing people talking about that connection, that, that impact of career and life satisfaction. And so I was like, you know what? I always knew I wanted to work with, with clients. I go back and doing that. And this is the gap I'm seeing. Um, and so that's how Her Career Doctor was born. Mm, I see. So Her Career Doctor started um, two, three years ago. Two years ago. Two years, two ago, years ago. In February. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Right and um, just to just. Yes. So yeah, February 2021 will make it two years. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. And just to check my understanding. Um, sorry. I'm, sometimes I listen in and I start thinking about um, like more questions. And then you <laughs> know, I need to check fine. that I, I need to check that I fully understood you before. Before I move on, so um, so 2015 to 2016 is where you started your PhD. Yes, is that right? Okay, okay, good. Okay, good. Um, so you brought up so many things that I actually have a lot of questions for. For for example, in your experience, have you helped people, you know, just figure out like what, what they want to do, and then like later on, something else comes up that becomes like a career that's more f- suitable for them. Have you ever seen that? Um. So. It's where, because my answer is for sure. I haven't seen it directly with my clients because, as we said, I've only, it's, it's been two years. But I always, I always talk to my clients about the idea of the pivot, where, you know, what my favorite way to describe it is I say, who you were five years ago is not who you are now and is not who you will be in five years. And so, ergo, the career that aligned with who you were five years ago will not align with who you are now. So if we are changing as people, the things that we enjoy doing and the things that we do for work 
naturally should change also, which I don't think people talk about that often. So right now, when my clients go through my program, they have clarity about what they want to do now, but I'm always clear and I tell them one of the reasons why I give you lifetime access to these materials is you can wake up in four, six, eight years and realize, you know what? I'm no longer fulfilled. I'm ready to change and pivot. And then you can always come back to my process to help you navigate that pivot. But for now, yeah, they have that clarity that they need, but I don't, I, I'm not under the impression that what they found now is what they'll be doing in 10 years because they won't be the same woman they are now. And so their career naturally will need to evolve with, with, as they evolve. So what, what are your day-to-day like now that um, I know that you are not just a coach, you're also a professor. How is it pretty busy for you? Um, it, it varies. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love being a professor. Um, it, it varies. My job is very much not a nine-to-five. Um, because so as a faculty member, I the way our roles are described, we have three main roles. We have to do research, we have to teach, and we have to do service. Um, and I teach in a graduate program. So right now, I mean, this semester I teach three classes. Next semester I'll be teaching two classes. And in my program, our classes are all in the evening because most of our students um are adults who have a full-time job who are changing careers. And so we try to cater to that with evening classes. So in any given semester, maybe two or three nights of my week um, are teaching. I'm not available because I'm teaching from 5.30 to 8. Um, other than that, you know, if I have meetings, so my nature of service for us, service really just means I'm either on committees or I am doing something for my program, my counseling program, or something for students. And so with committees comes meetings. Um, my Wednesdays are absolutely terrible. I don't schedule things on Wednesday because I literally can be in front of my computer from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. in meetings and then teaching a class. So Wednesdays suck for me. Um, but so day-to-day is weird because I think it looks different if it's a teaching day or not. Um, I generally don't teach on Mondays and Fridays. So I taught on Monday last semester. But I'll, I'll say in a week, I might have two or three days where I'm not teaching and um, I wouldn't have a lot of meetings on those days. So those might be the days that I do research. Like Tuesdays and Friday, I try to for sure keep fairly free so that I can do things like either prep for class or do research for me might be I already have the data and I need to write or I need to analyze or I need to read um, for what I'm writing. So Tuesdays, Friday, well, mostly Tuesdays might be a research day or a grading day. <laughs> I hate grading, but like I have time for that. Uh, so grading or um, what did I say? I, uh, prepping for class. Um, usually Friday evenings into the weekend is when I'm working on her career doctor stuff. Now, during the week, you know, in the afternoons and stuff, I'll check in on Instagram, respond to comments, post, things like that. But I prep my, I try to batch my contents over the weekend to share on my social media platforms. Um, so, I, yeah, I can't give you, a, one thing I can tell you, so I can't give you a solid day-to-day, but one thing that I try to keep consistent day-to-day is I don't have meetings before 9 a.m. I am not a morning person. Uh, <laughs> I let people know that. And so if, if anybody tries to schedule anything before 9, I'm like, I'm not available. We need to start at 10. I, I just, I mean, it, it's happened maybe once or twice in my professor career, but I'm like, I have a whole PhD. I have academic freedom. I should be able to determine when I start my day and I don't want to start it before 9 a.m. <laughs> Nice. I like that. <laughs> awesome. I, I love it. You know, I, there's so, so many, I'm, I'm also not an, a morning person and Angela is my opposite. She's like a morning person. So, but n- nothing wrong being morning person or a night, per- night owl is really just what works for you and, you know, your biological clock and what your preferences are, but you can't, um, I can't express like uh, 
just so there are so many um i feel like there are just so many more morning people out there so it's very rare that i get to talk to someone who says that they're not a morning person they're a night owl <laughs> and they just you know like shine later in the day and i'm just so happy to meet another person like yeah, myself and i'm just gonna own it because it feels like every five minutes yeah, i'm seeing it. headlines the most successful people wake up before five <laughs> yeah I'm like, i don't want to wake up before 5 a.m <laughs> i know i know and like get, get your get get everything done by like 7 a.m you know i've tried I, i've tried that and it just i cannot get it to work um for like a long period of time i can maybe do it for like two weeks and i feel pretty good about myself and then after week three i start to slack that's exactly but my cycle I mean, yeah <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like naturally, I'm just so productive. Like even after dinner, I'm super productive. So so anyway, I'm just like really happy to meet another person who is a night owl like I am. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask about, you know, when you found your first client and at that time, I mean, you're already a professor. You do not really need to be doing this, but this is obviously a very, very passionate um, project that you, you know, wanted to do on the side in addition to juggling all of the roles that you've told us so far and how, what was it like when you found your first client? Did you have to try to do any kind of marketing or did it just come about oh. because of word of mouth? Oh no, I, I'm still doing all the marketing. First of all, it was hella exciting because I mean, it was, it was novel, right? It still is. It's only going to be two years next year. So I think my business is a baby, but I'm also, I'm a high achieving and impatient person. And so I wanted to be successful, like immediately I started. And I, like, even until today, I keep having to tell myself, things take time, take it slow, enjoy the journey. Um, so yes, I'm always in marketing. Instagram is my main channel. I'm always pushing my program, always talking about it whenever I can. So my first client, it, it did come from Instagram. Um, someone DM'd me, I sent her the form. She, Cause I do a lot of like, I, I like to, I do discovery or sales calls. Cause I, if I don't think I can genuinely help you, I don't want you to pay me. That I'm not going to take you in as a client. So then I'll have a call where either they can't afford my rates or I realize they're not a good fit. And I say, you know, work with somebody else and I, I might refer them if I have someone in my network that I think is a better fit. And so when the first person said, you know, yeah, when can I get started inside? I was literally dancing. I was like, oh my gosh. Outwardly, I was just like, okay, so here's the next step. Here's what you need to do. I love it. And you know what? I don't even know why I said my first client because even till today, every time somebody chooses to invest in my services, I literally inside I'm doing a jig because I think it's a it's a big deal. You know, I'm not I don't let go of money easily. And so for someone to give me money to help them, it's a big it says they believe in what I can do and I take that really highly. And so even till today, whenever I get a client, I literally am like, oh my gosh, there's another one. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's a validation for like I guess the, the value that you're providing and people are able to see to see that the value they can get from you. So so yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your coaching process? Like how does it usually break down and you know? How, how do you approach things? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Um, so because, and then I said this earlier, because I, I think I have a unique perspective as, I mean, my research is in career development. So I, my research area is career development in K-12 schools. I teach all the three career counseling classes in my program. So I, I really am a career person, both in my full-time job and in my business. It's, it really is a passion. Um, but like I said earlier, I think I have a unique lens in that 
I have the research the, the and, and the theoretical and the mental health piece, right? As a counselor, we're all about, you know, mental health and mental wellness. And really career counselors, all we do is help you navigate your career development, which is separate from just doing job search. It's the entire process. Um, but I'm also a coach and I, I usually use the career coach term more because I think that's what people want to understand. And two, just by nature of licensure laws, I can't practice counseling if I'm not licensed in that state and I'm only licensed in Missouri. So I'm use my coaching practice. And so my process, I said all that to give context in that. I, when I work with clients, I try to figure out what phase they're in. So I have a unique signature phase. It's called the flipped triangle model for career decision-making. And it literally is two triangles. The first one is upright. The other one is, is facing down. And it's the two phases that we go through when we're career searching. The first is a discovery phase and the second is an attainment phase. And so the discovery phase, just to give an example to you all and, and the readers, the discovery phase would be what I was in back when I said, you know, I was miserable. I didn't want to do healthcare research, but had no idea what I would do instead. And so it, it came, this model came out of both my own experiences and the research that I do and, and what I know as an educator. So in the discovery phase, this is where you are really trying to first, you need to figure out who you are before we do anything else. You need to be clear on your values. Um, so I work in, you know, your non-negotiable values, your zone of genius interest areas, and your high power skills. All three of those have to be clarified to find an aligned career. And so with my coaching process, if someone is coming to me really unclear about what their next career move is, they have no idea what that's going to look like, then they are in the discovery phase. And for the discovery phase, then I'm either recommending that you join my small group coaching program, which is called Find Your Fulfilling Career. And what we do there is I start with the mindset work because mindset is a really a, a big part of it where a lot of women, there's some mindset barriers that we face when it comes to changing careers, things like fear, anxiety, validation seeking, the fixed mindset, um, just uncertainty and those thought patterns, limiting career beliefs can really get in the way of making that career pivot where you're like, I'm afraid of failing. I'm also afraid of being successful. I'm also afraid of what people will say. And so we really have to tackle that first. And then I help my clients get clear about the non-negotiable values, their high power skills, and there's an interest, interest areas. And I use assessment sometimes, but mostly it's in our group coaching sessions where we're talking through things and I'm giving them personalized strategy. Um, I also do a, a career clarity in a day. That's a VIP day where we can do all that work in one day. And that's more intense. So that's one part, one piece of my coaching. The flip triangle is the attainment phase, which is where most people start, which is why most people keep getting stuck in cycles in their career, because the attainment phase is when we do things like seeing what job is out there. So we're job searching, but we're also networking and then we're applying. So this is where you're doing your resume, your cover letter, your job search. And the problem is that if you, so each of the phases has four steps, right? So if you start from attainment where you just hop on the job board and you're looking for jobs, you've missed a whole entire four steps of getting clear about who you are. And so you're not starting on a strong foundation. But if I do have clients who are pretty clear, you know, I'm happy in my in my industry, I'm happy in my field, I'm happy in my role, I just need the next level. I just need to know what's next or what my career will look like or I, I'm ready for a promotion. Then um, I have a program called Job Search Simplified. And that's usually um, 
where they would fit, where we're actually going. Okay, let's plan out your job search, let's do your resume, the LinkedIn's, the cover letters, all of the typical things that people think of when they think of um, career coaching. Um, and that is a self-based course, but it also has a one-on-one coaching upgrade option. Um, and that's pretty much what my work looks like. Um, for women who have gone through the discovery group coaching, it's called Find Your Fulfilling Career. They get the option, they're the, like you have to go through that program to access what I call a career transition VIP day. Um, because sometimes you can have clarity about what you want to do next, but you might not be able to figure out how to get from where you are to where you need to be. And so um, I sit with them for five hours and we use what I call my triage framework to really sit and talk through things like, what is your transition plan going to look like? Do you need a bridge job? Do you have finances in place for you to make that transition? So you have to think of, do you have a financial safety net? Um, do you have support groups? Well, a support network, I should say. Um, who's supporting you? What is this process going to look like? When are you going to put your resignation letter? How are you going to apply? So we kind of walk through all of that. That is a very comprehensive um, program. Like it covers you from all the different stages in the search. And is there like a time frame or they just do it on, like, oh, on their no, own? It really depends. So Find Your Fulfilling Career, which is the small group coaching program, is a six-week accelerator, a six-week group coaching program. Um, the VIP day version of it, Career Clarity in a Day, is a six-hour program. Um, the transition program, it's just five hours. It's a, it's a VIP day also. Now, Job Search Simplified very much is more a, it takes however long it takes. Because, and I tell people all this, you know, job searching takes three to six months on average at best. So I'm not trying to rush that process, first of all. But second, because Job Search Simplified is a program that has been pre-created, um, women can, or people, really, it's open to anyone, can go through it at their own pace. So all the materials are already on there. Now, if someone chooses to upgrade and get the four one-on-one coaching sessions with me, what then happens is I tell them, usually I talk to them first, and based on what I've heard, I tell them what I think the vision for each of the coaching sessions are. But generally, I like to save two sessions, one for after you've gotten an interview so that we can do an interview strategy and one for after you get the offer so we can do a negotiation strategy. But then I don't put a cap on it. Again, I'm very aware that job section is it's not a time-bound system. And so it's whenever you do get that interview, schedule your appointment, we'll, t- we'll talk. Whenever you get the offer, schedule your appointment, we'll talk. So when it comes to the job searching, as of right now, my business model might change, but as of right now, there's no time frame. There's more of a time frame on the career clarity piece of things. So Angela and I sort of have an interesting question for you. I don't know if that's... I can, that's I can maybe present that and see Definitely. which one Go of ahead. us is interested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... I mean, first of all, I, I think I, I love that you mentioned about the two faces of discovery and exploring phase. And the main reason why I kind of suggested, hey, maybe we should make this more fun, quote unquote, more fun is because I actually don't know if I am in discovery or exploring. And I don't know if yeah. necessarily Dana is in discovery or exploring. So maybe one of us can kind of describe where we are at. And if you don't mind kind of walking us through your assessment <laughs> that you know you would normally do with your client and then help us figure out which phase we're in. <laughs> sure. Um, so with the face piece, it, it's a few questions. It's not really an assessment, but I would love to. Uh-huh. So which of you am I going to chat with? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Angela, you want to go? Okay, I'll go first. Maybe I'll go first. Let's see. I'll go there first. Go. And I, I think it's really because I was like, oh, am I in discovery or am I exploring? So like I am myself confused. And I'll describe. Oh, yeah. I guess questions from you then. Yes. Yes. Let me pause. So it's discovery and attainment. 
So okay. attainment discovery yeah. is, is is exploration, right? We're exploring okay. who we are, getting to know yes. who we are better. Attainment is where we need to secure a role. So tell me a bit more about what you do right now, Angela. Yeah. So right now I am a product manager in a biotech company. Um, so I work on internal tools and recently um, I switched teams. So I am leading a program that is part of a much bigger commercial program, but the portion that I am leading is about building out capabilities so that the company can expand to international sites and to start to move some of our manufacturing process overseas. Okay. And how do you feel about your job? Um, in terms of overall like satisfaction? however you define it. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting um, because of this newer responsibility that I started to be pulled into about two months ago. I think it's gotten more um, demanding in terms of what I am responsible for. And, you know, just overall, I kind of become this go-to person for anything that's related to that program. So I feel more challenged than what I was doing before. So in that sense, I really like that. But the flip side of that, I think it's always you know, um, it's probably like in every company out there where there's always misalignment on certain things to a certain degree, and there's always never enough resources. So there's always kind of discussions and communications that you'll have to do. Some are harder, some are easier. Some may not make everyone happy with, you know, the way that we're currently able to do certain things. So there's definitely all those stress um, related to this. But overall, I, I would say I'm happy. Okay, so I heard you say that it's right now it's challenging and you enjoy that challenge of having to figure things out, having people being sort of a resource for people. But there's part of things where you recognize that there might be misalignment in some spots where there is either isn't enough resources or just not enough support. Um, and so that's something to always that you're always grappling with almost. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is it about it being challenging that you enjoy? Um I think the, I think the fact that because I am now leading this part of the program, I am responsible for figuring out certain processes that were never defined before. So in the past, I think my responsibility was a little bit more refined or scope is a little smaller, um, kind of defined by the product itself. But now I have to make sure that if the product I'm building doesn't support a particular workflow, there's still a way and a plan for humans, for example, to step in and finish the process that the software itself doesn't support. So I think coming up with like different ways of solving a problem and kind of making things happen, that part is very exciting to me. Yeah. So you have to get pretty creative in problems, mm-hmm. but also you get to see the difference that you make in trying to come up with these solutions. Yeah. Okay. If someone asked you, um, do you think you're making an impact with the work you do right now? What would be your answer? Uh, my answer would be yes. Okay, tell me more about that impact. Yeah, um, I think the impact itself um, is huge for the operation side of the company um, because it really means that we're now able to do some of our processes that um, for a long time, probably six, seven years, have only been done in California. And now we're able to do it internationally. And in the beginning, we're going to launch at two sites. And those are sites that are specifically selected by our um, commercial leadership because they will um, help enable us open up our doors in international regions um, for sales and marketing purposes. So I think the impact is very high for what I'm doing right now. But I guess the flip side of the the other thing is, of that same um, I guess thing is just that you know there's 
stress and timelines and people hoping for certain things to happen for their team because they probably have some like ideal state of how they want things to be at the very beginning um, at launch, but that may not always be feasible given resource constraints. Yeah, so being able to just see how you are helping your, your company expand their operations beyond the borders of one state is exciting. But you also recognize that because of this expansion work that you all are doing, um, there's some tight demands, sometimes unrealistic demands that are coming your way or at least the way of your team that can be stressful sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then as you think of your company and what they stand for, so in terms of just like their vision, their mission, how they show up in the world, say that you you like your cl- your company as a whole like in terms of specifically I'm thinking just in the more sentimental sense of who your company if your company was a person would you like them yes okay okay so how long have you been in this role um I will say this role is quite new um okay. in, yeah probably earlier only since earlier this year okay yeah so a few months yeah okay do you have any sense of where you want to go next in terms of, as you look within your organization, do you see sort of like a corporate, like an organization ladder where you can see what your next role will be? Um, nothing really jumps out to me, I think. Um, yeah, I guess I would say no, nothing really jumps out to me. Okay. And is there anyone in your company that has a job that you're thinking, you know what, if I ever could, I wish I would do what they're doing. <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> okay. And is that role senior to, and when I say senior, I just mean like if you think of an organizational ladder, is that a role that's above your current role or below your current role? I think uh, I would say slightly above, but also vertically different, um, if that makes sense. So I think the roles that I think yeah, are a little bit more um, desirable or enticing to me at the moment are more on the commercial side of the company, but I am more on the operational side. Oh, say more the about development that. side. Yeah. 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 Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, I guess I've always kind of had this feeling that um, if you are working on, for example, let's take um, products, maybe let's use that as an example. Um, right now I'm working on internal products and I tend to always feel that if your product is a external customer facing product, then your impact is a little bit easier to quantify and therefore it can feel like very easily you can kind of quantify your impact and then it can feel like you're making a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I tend to kind of gravitate towards like roles that are more on the commercial side, but because I have historically been on the operations and uh, recently more on the development side of the company, I feel like jumping to a different vertical is a little different, uh, a little difficult um, for me right now. And I kind of feel like maybe I need to give this role a, a few more I don't know, months or years to kind of build that up and then look for the right opportunity. But kind of with COVID going on and, you know, we're kind of like a growing company anyways, I don't know necessarily if that um, I should be staying within this company to wait for that role or should I just start looking elsewhere for something that's more on the commercial side? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm hearing that for you. We think of the commercial side, the, the fact that is more customer facing, you believe, that you'd be making, you'd be in a role where you're making bigger impact by doing, by working directly on the customer facing product side, as opposed to being on the back end where you know you're making impact with the company in the global expansion sense, but it's not the impact that directly involves the customer. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. 
I also heard you say, right now you're a bit unclear in terms of, okay, can I make this transition now? Do I need to build myself up? Do I need right. to a different company? <laughs> Is that accurate? Yes, that's accurate. What are some things that you're doing right now to, like, let's say you are building yourself up. I did air quotes. Um, what are some things you're doing to do that right now? Within the company, I think I will say that um, it's definitely the first time that I've been giving given this opportunity to lead a program. So I think that I'm trying to make sure I'm doing a really good job on all aspects of this. And um, I'm definitely hoping that, you know, with this, you know, more opportunities that are similar um, in terms of scale and impact will come my way. And I'm also, I think, um, having a pretty good and transparent and direct relationship with my manager um, that I have let her know that, you know, my interests are a little bit more with, I think, things that are more commercial um, and less operationally related to what I've been doing. And um, if there are opportunities for me that she is aware of, you know, I ask that she let me know. (laughs) And I don't know what else. Um, I guess I didn't really know how to phrase that. I basically just said that, you know, that's a little bit more um, in line with what I am hoping to do. But you know, with the kind of current market uncertainty about COVID and everything all combined, I'm not sure, you know, if it's appropriate for me to like directly ask for anything. And I also don't really know about any open positions, if you will, like anything like that. So yeah, I think I let my manager know that I have a preference, um, but that was kind of all I did. But yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I tell clients, not enough people do that, just having those conversations. Um, that's super important. And I love that you did that. But after listening to you, you're definitely in the attainment phase. Um, and I'll tell you why. So you, you already have clarity about the direction you want to go in, which is you want to go on the commercial side. Um, you're just having a hard time figuring out what that transition will look like and potentially what you need to make that transition. And so I would say you're definitely in the attainment phase. And what would need to be happening on your end is first identifying skills gap. So that that job that I asked, that is there somebody else's job that you would want? Um, I would, that's somebody that I would potentially sit down with and talk with and just even maybe find their, either their resume or their LinkedIn profile and just see what was their trajectory and what are the core skills they need to be successful in that role. And then looking at your own profile and seeing, do I have those skills or do I have skills gap? Um, or do I have skills that I can market? Like, how do I check? market or package myself to be aligned with that role. Um, what you're doing right now, talking to your manager is great, but I would also even talk with somebody on that team and say, if you have any projects coming up where you need an operational ear or an operational perspective, I would love to be on this project because then you might be bringing your operations brain to it, but you're on a commercial team. And so now you can put that commercial team project on your own marketing materials, whether it's your resume or talk about it in a cover letter or in an interview. But the goal here is finding ways to sort of commercialize yourself, right? Like here's my commercial skill set, here's my commercial experiences, here's what that looks like. And then you will just be packaging yourself to apply for the role. Now I would say if you apply for the role in your company, if it became open, um, that would be an easy, probably a slightly easier transition because as a current employee, you're already familiar with you know the company's SOPs, you're familiar with culture. And so that's a little bit less training that they have to do for you. And so that might work. Um, but also when I work with clients, I talk about value alignment, which is why I asked, you know, do, would you like the company as a person? And it sounds like you do. If you didn't, then I would say, okay, maybe we're looking for a commercial role in a different company. Um, but if you could make that vertical transition or horizontal within your organization, that is something that would work. It would just be about packaging yourself and connecting with 
right people. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> it was so cool to be like the third person listening to this. And it's very interesting to see how you work through like with the way you structured your questions and like the information you were able to ex- extract from, you know, Angela's answers was very, it was just so interesting to be a part of it. And um, very cool that, you know, Angela got a, uh, I guess, a diagnosis. <laughs> prescription. I love it. Prescription. I love it. <laughs> Going with a career doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. That was, that was so, so interesting. My pleasure. That was actually fun. I was like, I want to do more of those. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Dana, let's chat. Um, tell me about what you do now. Sure. So I, I'm still working in biotech. Um, I'm still in the, uh, I guess, the development department of my organization. And my day-to-day is probably div- pretty divided between working in the lab and working on the computer. Especially now during COVID, um, I have more t- things that I can do, get to do on the computer, like writing protocols and um, doing more like project management style kind of work. Um, yeah, and just tracking things. Not so much data entry sometimes, but yeah, that's kind of like the other half of what I do. Yeah. So as you think of the lab work and the computer work, which of those two would you say you prefer? Uh, well, I prefer computer work. Hmm, tell me more. Being in COVID, I realized that I would like more flexibility. And working in the lab doesn't really, isn't very flexible. Um, you have like a certain time that you need to be in the lab you're kind of constrained by that and also just you can't really take your work home whatever you need to do in the lab needs to be finished in the lab and um, I'm realizing now that it is really good to have flexibility and um, I prefer you know if I like like in terms of time if I can finish this later or earlier if I can like be the boss and decide on that that is if that fits me better so that's what I like. And also, I think that when I was in the lab, um, a lot of times I'm just executing. I don't get to make a lot of decisions. And I think that I think maybe it's age or, you know, I'm just reaching the realization that it's also important to have more authority over what you do. So having the the decision power is p- becoming more and more important for me. Yeah. So autonomy and flexibility are two newfound values for you. Um, yeah. And I imagine that, you know, we talked earlier about being a morning person and being productive at night. And so I imagine the part of that flexibility is wanting to just do the work whenever you can, as opposed to being tied physically, sometimes when you're physically in the lab, but even just structurally with time frame where I'm sure the lab has to close at a certain point, that being tied down by those physical and structural, structural constraints isn't something that you're a fan of. Yes. Okay. And then with the autonomy piece, I also heard you saying you would like to just be able to make more decisions. You want to have control over decision-making in your work. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And so since COVID, when you've gone, have, have you gone in the lab since COVID? Yeah. Yeah. So we switched to a week on, week off. So every other week I'm in the lab okay. working. What is it like for you emotionally? Like when you're in the lab, walk me through your emotions when you're in the lab. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Um, It's actually, so I've been doing this for the past 10 years. So working in a lab is something that comes very, I guess, naturally and quite easy for me. Um, I feel like as long as I know what I'm supposed to do, I feel 
pretty confident in, um, you know, in, in like through in, in my day, I know what's going to happen and I know where to get the things I need. And it becomes pretty, it's just like executing a set of command. It's quite easy for me. And it's reassuring, you know, to, to, I guess, feel that way. And I say that because, um, since COVID I've had to take on a different, some different kind of roles and I've had to work more with people, like go to meetings and, um, you know, make more decisions. And that is, I, I think that's definitely exercising a different part of my brain. It's I'm getting exposed to different skills and I am starting to see that all the, there are some areas that I'm haven't been exposed to and are, I'm finding more challenging. So I think these new skills or these new experiences are can be a little intimidating and they make me feel they make me realize oh there are some areas that I'm really lacking in but also I feel like it's kind of a kind of a a stress but in a positive way I think is pushing me towards growing and expanding my skill set but being in the lab it definitely feels very natural and very easy for me Um, and I also very do like the problem solving part so if something goes wrong I can troubleshoot pretty easily. I know what to look for. Um, that part of my job doesn't really stress me. It actually makes me feel excited when, when something goes wrong and I have to go fix something. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I heard a few things there. So the lab is your comfort zone almost. You've been doing it for a while. Yes. You know what's expected of you. It's not really stressful. You enjoy just, well, let me pause. Not You know what life in the lab is like. Um, but then there have been some parts recently where you've had to interact with people and talk with people and you're feeling stretched, but in a good way. You're starting to realize some areas of growth that you have. And by doing these experiences, you are growing into those areas. Yes. Yeah. And then I heard you say that when things go wrong in the lab, having to problem solve that excites you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And has there been any time when um, you've been like, you know, this new part of working with people or interacting with people, has there been any time when you felt that same excitement where maybe there was a challenge you had to figure out when working with people and you had to apply sort of that same problem solving skill set? Has that happened at all? Um, that has happened. I've run into a couple of problems, but I feel like I so far have to be honest. I feel like I'm not very good at coming up with solutions yet, so far. Okay. Tell me more about feeling like you're not very good at coming up with those solutions. Sure. So part of my job is kind of to take on more of like the project management role. So I have to keep things moving. Say, for example, we um, do some experiments and then somebody needs to write a protocol. Uh, write a report and they need to be finished in a time and, you know, be sort of reviewed by the peers. Then it goes into, because it's a pretty uh, official study, we're trying to do something and get it launched with FDA. So everything needs to be documented and timeline needs to be met. So lots of things, uh, there's lots of requirements. So part of my job becomes making sure that the reports are written in a timely manner and people give their feedback and then the reports get updated and all that stuff. So um, I sort of I sort of have to nag people when they're behind. Mm-hmm. And um, I have found that uh, in, in some instances, you know, I, I try to come up with different, I guess, ways to ask people to, you know, turn in the report and stuff. And those, um, th- those, things that I've come up with, half of the time they work, half of the time they didn't work. And it's the time when they didn't work, when I, I failed to get people to respond or to, you know, finish re- reviewing a report. Those are kind of the frustrating 
times that I feel like I d- didn't do a good job. Mm-hmm. In. Mm-hmm. So it's frustrating when people don't respond to some of the tactics that you've tried to get them to do. Yes. Okay. Yes. And what is it like when it does work? Um, you mean how it feels yeah. or, um, I feel very, um, feel very proud of myself <laughs> that I was able to just, you know, come up with a different ways to do things. Um, and people, some people do respond and it feels really nice to respond when people respond and also gives me an insight into um uh like for example if i send out this mass email as a reminder and i try to present uh, my ask in a different way some people respond to this format of i guess nag quote unquote nagging and um it kind of just i just feel like oh i realize these group of people respond to this kind of stimuli Whereas some people don't, some people just choose to, you know, ignore me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's almost like you're learning a bit more about human psychology, almost like how, yes. how can you write craft messages in a way that works for people? Yes, exactly. And in doing that, so as you talk about, you know, you see what people respond to. I'm curious, do you see any parallel between figuring that out and when you problem solve in the lab? Um. I, I think so. I think both require me to think, both require me to figure out what's not working and find out a solution that works. Mm-hmm. So you have to diagnose the problem and then come up with a solution right. for it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so that's, so I've heard you, I've almost had three components of your job, right? There's the lab piece, there's the working, interacting with people piece, and then there's the computer work. Yes. If you had to rank those three in terms of the one you favorite to least favorite, how would you rank them? Hmm. I think, oh, that's hard. <laughs> I think working with people um, is probably in the middle. Okay. Uh, yeah, because it's, Kind of sometimes I I get, I feel pretty gratified and sometimes I feel pretty frustrated. Um, And I think working on the computer is probably the the top because I feel like I have more control. And working in the lab is, is easy, but I think that I see the limitation yeah, that it gives to to my career. Oh, sorry, I Mm -hmm. missed that. Can you say that again? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I said that I see uh, the limitation like that it plays in my career. Can you tell me more about those limitations that you see? Sure. Yeah. So the first is just the logistics and the, you know, the, the time that it's not as flexible. And second of all, I think which plays a more significant role is that I don't plan to get a PhD and it's harder for me to advance in my career without a PhD. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's almost like this lab work you're doing has a ceiling on it that doesn't bring growth. Yeah. Now with the working with people and the computer work, do you see that same ceiling? Um, no, no. And so as you think about your company, your company structure, can you imagine any job within your organization right now that involves just the computer work and working with people without the lab work. Yes. Is that a job you would want? Uh, 
yeah, um, I think so because I was given, I guess, more of the project management kind of work since pandemic. Um, I'm thinking that um, I've been kind of exploring this part of uh, well, this possibility, and so I've been talking to some people, and I took a class to see if I would like it. And um, I think that um, this is a possible, I guess, next step for me. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that's a possibility in terms of making that transition into something more project management related. Yes. If you had to put a timeline on it, like if you if the world is perfect and you had your way. When would you want to make that transition? Mm, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Um, I think, I think as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, I said that because um, I have been thinking about this for quite some time. I've been thinking about transitioning out of the lab for a while now, which is why um, I was telling, sharing with you earlier that I did a whole bunch of information interview with people in my network and tried to figure out how they switch out of the lab. And the biggest reason was, I think, first of all, is the ceiling that I'm seeing. And second reason is that um, I feel like I've been working in the lab for a long time now, like seven, you know, 10 years. And I feel like it's, uh, I'm at a good, you know, good, good stage where I think about what to do next. And um, I haven't been, I guess, been able to, um, I haven't really gone full force into figuring this out. Um, pardon me, because I think I'm just either a bit lazy or kind of kind of nervous about what I might find. Mm. So staying in the familiar area is just easier and less scary, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, so I've been kind of putting it off. Um, that's part of why I use that language. I said the lab is your comfort zone. You're comfortable in the lab. Right. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, so for sure, I think you're also in the same place as Angela in that you are in the attainment phase. You you have a vision already of what that next role would look like. You've identified it in your company. Um, now it's just a case of packaging yourself and marketing yourself for that role and having the courage to go after it, right? Having the courage to apply for it and, and put your foot forward. Um, but you already know what that is. And I didn't hear any, I didn't hear you say anything about being unhappy with your organization or with your company or even with your industry. So it sounds like, and you've done a bit of that project management type role. So you've experienced it. And so if after experiencing something, you still think you're interested, I think that that sounds like your next career move. Ah, okay. Well, thank I, I um, actually didn't know that I would be uh, more further along in this. I thought I would still be in the discovery phase. <laughs> so, very confused. Yeah. No, so, okay. Discovery would have been like, if I had asked that question about, you know, is there a job with a computer and a uh, uh, pe- working with people that you see yourself doing and you said no um, or if you said yes but I don't think that's what I want to do and you couldn't tell me why that would be discovery so the discovery phase is def- or if you th- if you said to me I actually want to leave my company entirely like I've been doing this for 10 years I'm ready for a switch I just don't know what that switch will be like I want to take my skills to a different industry I'm ready to make that move that would have been discovery because the conversation would then be Okay, let's help you get clarity about who you are to see what else, other than what you're doing right now, what else would align with what you're doing right now. That would have put you in the discovery phase. Hmm. Ah, I see. I see. Okay. Okay. 
Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. No problem. Um, thanks. I feel like this, you know, the, 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 the whole thing about career change is, is very daunting. And um, by being placed, you know, somewhere in the map, it kind of, it actually helps me feel more, I guess, less worried. And it helps me feel more confident about what's my next step. Because I think before I would be like, I don't know what's my next step. I kind of know where I want to be, but I, I don't know what to do next. You know, but but I mean, I, by having this one more piece of the puzzle, I, I think it just I think it does help me feel more confident awesome. about about like my future, at least in the near future in terms of what I do. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that you might never go back in the discovery phase. Right. So. You might go for this project management role, do it for maybe three, four years, five years, and then wake up one day and realize that you're ready for a change. Maybe you're bored with the company, yeah. with the industry, then then that would put you in a discovery phase. But for now, just hearing you say, you know, I like the computer work. I like the challenge of figuring out how people work. Um, it sounds like that's the next challenge that you're ready for. It's just about packaging yourself and applying for the role. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Everyone's a work in progress. <laughs> So I wanted to know, uh, throughout your transition, because obviously you, um, I, I guess not transition, but like the, you know, the development of your career, was there anything you regret or anything you wish that you knew sooner? That's a good question. I honestly can't think of any, and, I, and, I, and that might just be my faith talking where very much everything happens for a reason. And so, um, you know. God doesn't deal in coincidences and all things work together for my good. So, I mean, in the moment, if you had asked me, I said, oh, I wish I didn't do that. But looking back, I mean, I genuinely love my life right now. I enjoy being a professor. I love what's happening with her career doctor. And if anything had changed in my in my past, I wouldn't be where I am now. Like, I really love the university I'm at because we're growing our school counseling program. And so I get to be part of almost, almost like I'm building a legacy, so to speak, with, you know, inputting processes and things like that, which is something I really wanted. Um, maybe if I could change anything, like if, let's say I was talking to college version of myself, I might say, okay, get an internship or volunteer more, just do more world experiences while I was in college. I didn't, I never had an internship, actually. I think I had one campus job where I worked in res life. That was about it. Um, I think I would have wanted to have just more experiences because maybe I would have figured out earlier on that healthcare and science wasn't for me. Maybe I would have figured out that I prefer working with people and talking to people, and I might have gone in that direction earlier. Um, but then if that had happened, I wouldn't have had the experience that now really lets me connect with my clients in a different way. Like Because I've been on that journey of an unfulfilling career, um, I find that I'm really able to tell my story in a way that connects with my clients and it helped me develop the framework that I now use. And so if, if I had figured things out earlier, I wouldn't be able to connect in a very real way with my clients now. So I don't know if I regret that, but that might be something that I would change. And Tega, I guess for people that are considering all of your different services, is there like an entry kind of one where um, where they maybe can do some consultation with you first before jumping into picking any particular service? Yeah. yeah it's funny you ask that. I'm actually, the answer, short answer is no, but I'm working on something for next year where I'm like, I need to do a workshop. But right now the entry would be just a call with me. So I do... A, um, if you're trying to get into either the group coaching, find a fulfilling career, 
or um, my Clarity Day, I do a sales call where we talk, like it's literally 20 minutes of you telling me all about where you are in your career now and where you want to go. And I'll honestly tell you if I think the program is a fit or not. Um, so that would be the entry. And really the best way is to hit me up on Instagram at her career doctor. And if you send me a DM, I'll respond with the link. Now, who knows, by the time this goes up, maybe I would have created that entry point. I don't know yet. Look in the work, but it's like two years out. Um, but so I say it would be the call. For most people, it would be the call. Um, now, if somebody was job searching where they're looking, um, uh, they're in that attainment phase trying to get their job, the entry would be, uh, it would really just be straight into the program. It's called Job Search Simplified. So if you just go to jobsearchsimplified.com, you would learn um, all the information. And there will be, you know, soon. Oh, actually, I lied. There is an entry for for the clarity, I have a guide. <laughs> I, have a free, I have a free guide. It's called Discover Your Fulfilling Career, and it walks you through my framework for, for the clarity phase. Um, if you go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash fulfilling guide, so that's bit.ly slash forward slash fulfilling guide, you can grab that free guide, and it walks you through my exact framework that I use to help all my clients who are in the discovery phase. Um yeah, for attainment, you would just jump right into the Job Search Simplified program. I guess, lastly, where can people find you online if they are interested in working with you? Yeah, um, most common place you can find me right now, I see the easiest, Instagram. I'm at her career doctor on Instagram. If you're on Clubhouse, I'm at her career doctor there. I'm also on Twitter, at her career doctor. Um, I'm LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn also, and I'm Tega Edwin on LinkedIn. Well, it says Mary Tega Edwin because Mary is my first name. Um, so those are the places you can find me. Mm, well, okay. I should have Thank said you. my central home. If you go to hercareerdoctor.com, you'll definitely be able to find me there. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Okay, we will make sure to link all of that. And um yeah, Tega, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a good conversation. It was my pleasure, Dana. Thank you for hanging out with us for a little longer. You just finished listening to an episode of the Working Progress Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you share this with someone who can benefit from it and leave us a review on iTunes. Don't forget to let us know what you think or if you have any questions. You can find our contact information in the episode description. Keep doing the good work and I look forward to speaking with you soon.